Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today our topic is public question number two on the Monroe County ballot. It's the referendum for the Monroe County Community School Corporation. We have three guests with us in the studio. Um, Sue Wanzer is here. Sue's on the Monroe County Community School Corporation board. Right. Right. Jenny Stevens is with us. She's a volunteer coordinator for campaign for the referendum, and Jack Peterson, who's one of the three leaders of the committee who's leading the campaign in favor of the referendum. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348, and our web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. You can go there and join a conversation about this uh, topic, or you can also send us a, a note to ask your question. Mary Catherine, thanks for being here. You're also on the committee. I am, yeah. I joined early, and I'm happy to be a part of this group. Yeah, so we have uh, four people who are, are actively involved in trying to get the referendum passed, so if you're out there and have questions or concerns or opposition to it, uh, you can certainly phone us and and uh, voice those things and ask all the questions that you want. I wanted to start out... Um, by asking Jack, who is one of the three leaders of this campaign, could you give us a little bit of your background? Because I know you've been very involved with, with schools and school issues, and also why you felt like it was important to join up with this group. Well, thank you. I, this, uh, my main purpose for my wife and I, Marlene, uh, is that uh, we are the proud grandparents of two students <laughs> in the Monroe uh, Community Schools. And so that is the driving force of what puts me at the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, my background has been for the last 52 years, actually, in public school administration and teaching and all that in my background. Uh, I represented two statewide organizations, all the school boards in Indiana at one time and also in Arizona. Mm-hmm. So a referenda, uh, is, uh, they're not a new adventure for me necessarily. In Arizona, we vote uh, about every week on something <laughs> or did. So, uh, but, but actually, the, uh, the importance of the uh, quality of maintaining the quality of education that we enjoy here in Monroe County Community Schools uh, is, is paramount to us mm-hmm. as, as grandparents and also citizens because it affects everyone in this community. Mm-hmm. And uh, secondly, we intend to make sure that we can influence everyone that we talk with of the importance of the referendum. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a situation that arose that was not created by the school district. And secondly, but uh, it's uh, one that has to be solved by the school district. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I'm going to turn to Sue to, to help frame this uh, conversation, but I believe um, it's probably worth noting that the, the referendum, I didn't bring the actual referendum language. You might have it with you, um, but in essence, it, it, it would allow the um, the, it will allow the tax rate to go up enough to raise $7.5 million for up to, up to $7.5 million for use in the Monroe County Community School Corporation for operating the schools uh, over four, six years in a Correct. row. Mm-hmm. Correct. And we had the option of going up to seven years um, is, as long as a referenda, referendum can last. We chose to go six years because just in case we have to do it again, um, that'll fall in an election year, and seven years is, is an off year for us. Um, so, yeah, it's 14.02 cents on each $100 of assessed valuation. And and Mary Catherine's right. It's up to, and the school board can make a determination each year if we're going to go for the total 14.02 or if it looks like state revenue is different for us in any one year, we can back off on that and ask for less. Mm-hmm. I think that's a that's a key question for for a lot of You're people right. who are out there, and and that is, you know, the uh, the amount of the shortfall last year was 5.8 million. Mm-hmm. Or that's what you cut from right. the budget. Yes, I have a, a, a maybe an even more slightly more specific question. I okay. believe Tim Thrasher presented a budget to the board this week. That, yes, it says um, it's the budget is five point two million dollars less than last year's budget. 
correct? That, I think that's I be, correct. Yeah, yeah, I don't you believe have me, any friend right? of me, but you yeah, believe, yeah, I believe you, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And so, you know, the question is now, and, and I, I know he also presented sort of a supplemental yes. budget that had the seven point five million if the if the referendum were to pass. Yes. So my, when I saw those two things, my question was, you know, what, what's the process going forward? That is, you know, he's developed a budget now for you to look at that would say, yes. here's how we would spend the $7.5 million. As you said, you don't have to ask for $7.5 right. So what, what kind of how's the process? And, and this forward? is for – just this next year, our budget. So for this next year, we are going to be asking for the for the fourteen okay. cents. Um, what's really interesting about the the crafting of the budget because this is new for us um, at MCCSC, we have to have that supplemental budget. So we have the one budget that we do every year, which has our five funds that the school board has to approve, and then a separate a separate supplemental budget that's for the referendum. That if the referendum passes, it has line item by line item everything that will be spent with that money. So if the referendum doesn't pass, then that budget just goes away mm-hmm. and we just deal with the original budget. Mm-hmm. And, and just as a reminder for folks, this money is going into the general fund. It's not going into any of the other four funds, but the general fund, which is basically, um, it's about 92% salaries for our staff and the rest equipment and supplies. So can you explain to people why you're able to, we just celebrated the grand opening of Fairview mm-hmm. Elementary. Great question. Yeah, great thing. Yesterday, um, we're building a new bus garage. Yeah. Um, certainly both things that needed to happen, but can you explain to people why you can't just maybe put off building a school or build a smaller school? And, and that's a perfect question, Mary Catherine, because that's the kind of things that, that people are wondering. And it is confusing. The fact that we have these five little silos of money that can't transfer, and this is by statute. It's not the way that we set it up, but the so way that the really state So it's really state law it tells it, you you exactly. can't do that. Exactly. And for our capital projects fund, which is what we use for maintenance and then for some construction, that's all separate. And some of, some of that's done through bonding. And we approve those budgets separately. Um, and certainly um, we have hearings on that, and citizens are always invited to come comment on it. Now, in terms of Fairview, for anybody who's been in Fairview, as I know you have, um, the building had five or seven additions on it. Um, it certainly was not ADA compliant. It was not a safe, secure school in terms of the way we like to design schools where you have good eyesight and you can see what's going on. And the new school that was built which actually ended up being cheaper than if we had tried to renovate the old building. And I think it was because it was in so many pieces um, added on. The um, the new building is really being shared with the community. Um, we built the facility specifically so that the community can use it as well. So it's more than just a school. And the bus garage, I have to tell you, if anybody had ever been in that bus garage, people couldn't get from one side, one end of a bus to another because the garage was too small. They had to slide under the buses to get around the buses. Mm-hmm. So we did need something new. And I know people complain about why'd you have to build a new garage with green this and green that and a rain barrel and this. We didn't have to do that, but it made sense as long as we were building a new garage to make it sustainable and to make it as cost effective as possible. All right. Our phone number is 855-0811-1-877-285-9348. And our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Um, Sue, I've got a follow-up or two I want to ask you, but I do want to get Jenny on the air first and ask about your role as volunteer coordinator. What what does that mean? Uh, I think it just means I was in the uh, right place at the right time and there was a need. <laughs> And uh, there was a lot of parent energy, and people just wanted to say, maybe we can do this. And uh, we started out with an idea on Monday, and uh, by Wednesday we had kind of established our headquarters through some begging and pleading and had some approval to print some materials. And uh, by that Friday we had 24 parents that had been in and out, and we had canvas packets going out that weekend. So it was quite a heroic effort by a terrific group of uh, volunteer parents. Uh, Jenny has a gift for humility. <laughs> <laughs> so more She's done heroic. a great job, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's we, been fun. We have a phone call already. Let's go to Daryl on the phone. Daryl? Hey, hey, Bob. Hey, hey Daryl. When we're going around and talking about the referendum and trying to get people behind it, one of the questions that keeps coming up has to focus around administration salaries. And I know this is something that the school board has addressed year after year after year, but I was wondering if you could talk about um, how much the administration salaries make up the general fund and talk a little bit about 
the importance of actually extending those contracts to keep good people in place. That's a great question, Daryl. Thanks for bringing that up. Thank you, Daryl. And yes. thanks, Daryl, for calling in. Um, and this is a great point, and that's one of the big complaints. Um, our, administ- our salaries for administrators are about 5% of our, of our general fund budget. I know people, people look at administration in any kind of an organization. I don't care whether it's an IU or the hospital or MCCSC or anything, and they always think you're too top-heavy at the top um, with too many administrators. Our administrative salary is probably um, in the lower half, if we look statewide, of what we're paying our administrators. So we're not overblown in that. We're not certainly not overblown with the numbers. Um, no teacher can do their job effectively without the administrators who are there for that support. I was in Summit on Monday. A little kid came to the front desk because he was having trouble with an assignment because the classes are overcrowded, we don't have enough assistance, we don't have enough aides. So guess who helped him? The principal. The principal came out of his office and helped him with his assignment. Um, there's, there's just no way that we can operate a school with everything that has to happen, whether it's a discipline, um, case conferences for special needs students, visitors, parent involvement, facilities, developing curriculum, all of that needs that administrative support. My gosh, if the teachers had to do it, they really, really would never have the time um, to spend in their classroom, which is where we want our teachers. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a great question, and, and I do think it's something that we need to talk about over and over again, and that we're not, we really don't have an overbloated salary for administration. So be sure and touch on the, the point, because Daryl makes a, a good point that people are asking about the um, contracts that were extended oh, recently. Yeah. You know, and that was a handful of our administrators, and, and I, I will personally support that decision that we made. It was 15 people out of our central administration whom I do not think we could run our school corporation without. We couldn't run our school corporation without Tim Thrasher. Everybody knows Tim Thrasher. Or without um, his assistant comptroller. It was HR and assistant HR. It was our planning person. It was our facilities person. It was our special ed director and our assistant special ed director. People who we just could not get along without, and we wanted to provide some stability in a time when um, with all of this funding question and what are we going to do and how are we going to manage, we wanted to ensure that we had some stability there to support and guide the school corporation. And they made a trade-off as well, isn't that right? Well, they don't have a salary increase. so For three years? Yeah. So, And also, aren't there expenses involved in hiring a new person for any of those upper administration Certainly. positions? Usually what we find out, and I think a lot of organizations find this out, when somebody leaves in an upper level to replace them, you end up paying more um, because of the way that inflation has gone or because you want to keep up. Um, and if we want to hire the best and the brightest, we have to pay a salary comparable to what other school corporations are paying. So you're, that's exactly right. We save in the end, and we get to keep some really, really good people. All right. Uh, 855-0811, 1-877-285-9348. We thank Daryl for that call, and we're looking forward to more calls. Our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Okay, so I've got a follow-up. Okay. If you don't mind. And, you know, all four of you are involved. Um, I'm more the, I guess I'm the, the more neutral observer, so to speak, the, the journalist today. So I might sound like, uh, I don't, Bad I don't sound like an opponent, but I'm going to ask some, hopefully yeah. some difficult questions. Challenges. And the, well, the one question that comes to my mind is, you know, you've said over and over again, if we don't need the money in the future, we'll ask for less. Um, you have Tim just put out a budget that's $5.2 million less than a year ago, yet you're asking for $7.5 million this year, which means you're asking the taxpayers to fund a budget that's $2.3 million more than last year's budget. Why should taxpayers support that? That's a big increase. Well, and a lot of this, remember, is estimates. And while Tim Thrasher is really good, um, I don't know what kind of crystal ball he has, and Tim's pretty good, but, but it all depends on property valuation, um, what's going to happen with the state in terms of funding. So a lot of this is estimates. So we, so we are building in just a little bit extra. Um, what we're hearing from the state, well, for instance, uh, what we're hearing from the state is not to make any decisions, especially about federal stimulus money, until after the legislature meets, mm-hmm. because we don't know what's going to happen with money, and we don't know what they're going to be giving us in terms of money. 
and that federal stimulus money might end up just supplanting the regular budget that we get. So a lot of this is estimation. What if it doesn't? What if you get the same amount of stimulus money and then you have $2.3 million more to spend? Won't that become sort of a structural budget that would be very difficult to back off of in the future? Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I'm, I, when we say if we don't need the money, we're not going to levy that 14 cents. I think we're very serious about that, and we'll take that recommendation from our administrators. And it really is hard to tell, to look out to the future. Two years ago, we didn't know we would be here. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're trying to be as safe as we can, yet as reasonable as we can be mm-hmm. as well. Okay. I'm really glad you brought up the topic of the stimulus money because I think there is a perception in some um, people's minds that the stimulus money is going to come in and save the day. Right. Um, and that that, you know, really, why do we need to do this tax increase? We've got this stimulus money coming in. Exactly. Right. right. And I and I, that makes perfect sense to a whole lot of people. And what we think it's going to be is $1.9 million. But the superintendent of public instruction for Indiana is the one who has said, wait until after the legislature meets. Um, because they haven't made a decision exactly how this, how they're going to make the distribution. So there is a chance that, let's say, instead of $50 million, they're going to take $1.9 million away and supplant that with the federal money, which is what we're concerned with and what we're hoping won't happen, but what could very well happen, so that we're not going to benefit from the federal stimulus money. So that stimulus money actually goes to the state coffers yes. that the legislature controls. So to count on that $1.9 million would be, in essence, counting your chickens before they're hatched. Exactly, especially after, the, after what um, Dr. Bennett has said now about waiting until after the legislature meets. So, and it's and it's a one-time payment. You know, the decision was made back in September that this stimulus money would come to the states, but you know we don't have any of that funding yet. But um, but it's a one-time funding, and so it'll only work for one year. So mm-hmm. we are waiting to see if it's going to be over and above our regular budget or if it's just going to be built into our budget. This has been kind of a love fest. I hope someone will call in who really has some concerns about this so we can talk about those. Well, I'm trying not to be so much of a love fest. I I mean, I still still am looking for a better answer to the question I I have. Okay. And that is if the budget – I mean, you cut $5.8 last year. The new budget says this is going to be $5.2 less than last year's budget – so that's $11 million down total, right? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. I'm saying it's like $5.2 million down, right? And, and that number, and again, right. Bob, I don't have that or with five me. And so, well, yeah, five and a half. Well, yeah, five and a half. Let's say five and a half. Let's even say for the sake oh, of argument, $6 million down. So $6 million down your budgeting. But you're asking for $7.5 million more in the referendum. Right. And, and, you know, you've said in the future you might not ask for that much, but this year you are going to ask for $7.5 million more. So that will get – that will – if it passes, that will give you $1.5 million more than saying. you were otherwise and, budgeting for. So how are you going to spend that And part of it money? is we, we just don't have anything in our cash reserves and our cash flow. Um, mm-hmm. That has – you know, I think the state recommends – and Jack might know this better than I probably – that you have 8 percent or 10 percent of your budget in your cash reserves, um, and we just have not had that. I think we've been to 2%, and Tim Thrasher's tried to get us to 4%. And I think we are trying to build some of that up so that we have that money so that we can make payments when we have to make payments. Okay. So trying to exercise some fiscal responsibility. Well, I hope, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. Jack, I wanted to to turn back to you because you've, as you said, 52 years in in, uh, the school corporation and in, in administration and leadership. Um, can you sort of evaluate the, the times that we're in? I mean, the, the, the funding issues, this is not just in a Monroe County Community School Corporation issue. It's, it's an issue throughout the state. Do you think, I mean, would you classify it as a crisis or as a little blip, as a, a minor problem? How would you, how would you characterize well, it? Well, I, I guess uh, uh, to summarize before I answer your question mm-hmm. is that I've, I have never seen it quite this bad before uh, uh, in terms of the crisis for public schools. Uh, two things have happened recently which is completely foreign to the American uniqueness of public education, which which depends on every citizen in the community and every taxpayer in the community funding the programs for children. That, that's, been a, that's been with us for over 200 years. Having said that is that the stable tax of the property taxes uh, 
have always been the stable tax that has been a guarantee that our children would be protected in spite of what kind of economic conditions con- are, are concerned, which we have just experienced the last two or three years. I do not understand, quote, the wisdom of the state legislature in the general fund of schools to have removed the property tax stabilizer from those fund and put it completely at the mercy of economically sensitive taxes like income taxes, sales taxes, because they're economically sensitive to whatever happens in, 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 in the culture. So the point is that they've taken away the most stable tax that could have ever been supporting our children. And that's been one issue. The second issue was the, the major cut that was arbitrarily taken by the state of $300 million, shorting our school districts. Uh, they had been promised that money through, st- through state legislative action. So those, those two pieces right there, in my opinion, are different than the other shortages I remember in my 50 years mm-hmm. in this business. Uh, I was superintendent of schools at the time when we got a notice in January one time that we would not get our February checks. Uh, the reason for that sometimes from the state level is because the state cannot borrow money under our Constitution, obviously. And so, but the school district can. So if the state has a problem and needs to, to uh, support itself on the backs of the public schools, the public schools then can go out and borrow the money, but they also the taxpayers have to pay, ta- have to pay interest on that money. So those maneuvers have been done in the past to, uh, to do temporary kinds of things. This situation we're dealing with right now nationally, actually, is not a temporary issue. Uh, the, these things are, are becoming engraved in stone, these kinds of shortages. The referendum is new to the state of Indiana and only to about two years old, in fact, in this state. Uh, we are going to have to develop a mentality, I think, in all public services to be able to embrace the, the referendum mentality of what it takes to raise funds to supplant and, and to, to support uh, the uh, negatives that we're going to get from the kind of tax sources that we've been given. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have a phone call. Thank you, Jack. Thanks for that explanation. We have Valerie on the phone. Valerie? Yeah, um, you asked for someone to disturb the love fest, and I guess I'm that caller. Uh, and hopefully some other callers will call in also. I guess I was a little bit uh, taken aback that all of the people on your panel today are pro-referendum because there's another side to this story, and I don't even know where to start, but there's some basic concepts here I'd like to point out, one relating to the gentleman who just pointed out that this is all unprecedented in terms of stability of funding and all that. Well, my personal opinion is that this is not just a blip and we're all going to recover. My opinion is that, you know, this is the result of 30 or 40 years of deregulation and globalization, and I think we've heard the term the new normal, and I personally believe that there is a new normal and that we all need to adjust to it, and the thing that really bothers me is, and I guess this is, I guess I'd have to call it fear-mongering, that uh, somehow or other educators think that they are, they should be immune to the current instability of uh, the economic situation and the property taxes or the stable funding and all that, well, the people out here who are paying property taxes, which I'm actually opposed to the whole concept of having to repurchase your property every year through taxes, those people's jobs aren't stable. You know, their economic situation isn't stable. So why do educators feel that their funding should be stable when nobody else's is? And again, it's, well, we need to protect our children, and our children will suffer. Well, that's probably true, but we're all suffering. And I would like to see some of these educators seize the moment and use this as, you know, a a teaching moment that um, this is what happens when you allow transnational corporations to take over your economy and all the decent paid and manufacturing jobs are shipped to Mexico and other places. Um... There's a much bigger picture here that nobody seems to be addressing, and, you know, maybe it's time to teach our kids, you know, okay. what's happening in the world. And I'm going to get off here because I'm sure I'm going to get a whole bunch of flack. Well, I don't know if it's going to be flack, but I think you'll get some reaction. Valerie, is a good question. I, I think Valerie says what a lot of people are saying or what a lot of people are thinking. Um, I, under, I, I certainly understand the point that everybody is taking a cut, everybody's taking a hit, so why shouldn't educators? And, and I would point out that um, 
are, in many ways, education has taken a hit for years because we haven't even kept up with the cost of inflation um, many times. But if education takes the same hit that everyone else does, that means we have overcrowded classrooms, we have fewer teachers, we have fewer programs, we don't have our ECAs, um, which are such a great learning experience for our kids. And so what happens to our kids? We have kids who um, don't finish school. We have kids who don't have adequate reading and writing skills. We have kids who don't have problem-solving and decision-making skills. And then that's what costs society further down the road because they're not functioning well in the society. Um, They're using our juvenile detention centers, our jails. It costs people more money down the road not to educate. So, sure, we could take the cut that everybody else is taking. We could take more of a hit. But my fear is that, and we might not see it next year, but 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, it will end up costing us more. Mm -hmm. Um, So this really is an investment, I think, to save us money later on. Well, I always go back to the fact that they base the number of uh, prisons they're going to build on third grade reading scores. Exactly. And that's exactly true, Mary Catherine. And it takes a lot less time to educate someone than it does to incarcerate them indefinitely. Exactly. Jenny, Jack? Reaction to what Valerie well, said? Yeah, I would like to um, offer something up. I, I think, you know, for Bloomington in particular, we're talking about the quality of our life locally. This is a local issue. Mm-hmm. And in any civilization, you want certain things to exist. You want your parks. You want um, quality of life issues. You want your roads to be in good conditions. You want to have police, ambulance, fire services available. Well, you also want a good education. Um, IU is an educating uh, facility here. Um, we have a lot of people who are trying to attract um, faculty here. We're trying to attract business here. We have a lot of science communities. People look at schools when they come here. And we have one of the, we just have a great school system here. If you compare our test scores, um, we're really at the top in the state. And we really want to continue that. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of information at headquarters uh, about kind of the horror stories. And I know people aren't knowing this, but 36 kids in Grandview in a sixth grade classroom, kids that are sitting on the floor. Um, my son um, has and is in a class with 37 kids. There's 30 computers. It's a computer-based class. Um, study halls of 65 to 80 kids, a beginning band of 50 children in a beginning band where the band director has set out, is there any parent out here who could come in and help? So this is not a quality education for our children, and I believe that our current administration didn't cause this situation to happen. I think we are part of the solution, and I'm, I'm really hoping that Bloomington understands that this is really a, fundamentally a question of what Bloomington wants to do. All right. We're, we've run out of time for our first hour, our first half hour, rather, I should say. We're, we're actually running a little late. So I want to, uh, again, remind you that we have three guests talking about the Monroe County Community School Corporation's referendum on the ballot. Sue Wanzer from the school boards here, Jack Peterson, who's one of the three leaders of the committee that's leading the campaign, and Jenny Stevens, the volunteer coordinator. If you have questions or comments, please uh, get to us after the break. You're listening to Noon Edition. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Telephone, information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcast directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. Programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, The Ether Game, Musical Mini Quiz, as well as Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Find out more at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Fridays, the WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 11.33 a.m., 11.55 a.m., and 5.45 p.m. to catch that day's feature. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael, and our three guests today: uh, Sue Wanzer from the Monroe County Community School Corporation Board, um, Jenny Stevens, who's the volunteer coordinator for the uh, group that's trying to um, support the referendum, and Jack Peterson, one of the three leaders of the committee that's um, campaigning in favor of the referendum. You can join us by calling eight five five zero eight one one in Bloomington or Monroe County, one 285 9348 if you're outside of, of Monroe County. And also 
Uh, you can go to our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. Now, Valerie called uh, before the break. She was talking about um, whether there's just a new normal and how educators can sh- – why should they believe they're immune to the new normal? And we were getting some response to that. And, Jack, I think you had some things you wanted to say. Oh, just a, a comment or two. Um, the I feel as a taxpayer that I get the best value for my tax dollar in the local taxes, including property taxes, than any other source of revenue that I that I contribute to. And I think that that's something that uh, escapes uh, several people. And uh, I don't think I'm alone, really, in that field. We, you get good quality services from the from the civil city, the the county, and those other local taxes that we pay. So I I very seldom ever begrudge the dollars that I pay in a property tax or a local tax of any kind. The second thing is that the reason that teachers quote uh, will support this, and us educators uh, labeled educators at this table support this kind of a movement, is because we represent some little people that can't speak for themselves. The children don't have a voice in this, and they're the ones in those crowded classrooms. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones who are taking the, uh, I guess, the most, uh, the most hit with respect to the kind of things that are happening to them at the moment because of things that they certainly didn't create. So I, I, knew, I never apologized for representing children, and I, I, I don't ever intend to. May I add one other thing, too, with the property taxes? Sure. Um, People's value, the value of their property, is tied directly to the quality of the school corporation. Mm-hmm. In any community where you have failing schools or struggling schools, people don't want to live there, corporations don't want to come in, and property values go down. When you have good, stable, strong schools, it affects our property value. And and for people who I, – I guess it's just a philosophical agreement. If you don't believe you should be paying pro, um, tax on your property, that's not – this is not the place to argue it. But the fact is is that the schools directly affect the value of people's property, mm-hmm. and that's an earning for people. Um, and sales tax is a kind of tax. It's a regressive tax. It affects um, people in poverty much more than other people. It's it's more of an, an unfair way to to tax our community for our services. Mm-hmm. All right. Mary Catherine? Yeah, we've had a couple of questions that have come in. One of them is, uh, will the referendum stop teachers' rifts, that's reduction in force, uh, in the future? If not, why not try to live with the number of teachers you have? Well, um, I, Jenny was talking about um, oversized classes. When I was in um, Summit on Monday, I went into a sixth-grade class that last year had 23 students. This year had 32, has 32. Um, and it was almost difficult to walk between the chairs it was so crowded. Yes, if the referendum passes, we'll replace the teaching positions that that we have lost. That's our number one goal, is we want to make sure that we get more teachers in the class. Um, If we want to do the kind of differentiated instruction that's so important to us so that every kid gets attended to based on their need and their level, we need to bring back those teachers and lower our class size. Sue, I've been following this discussion on BloomingtonOnline.net, and um, one of the questions that has come up several times is, what guarantee do we have that um, the money raised will be used to reinstate anything that's been cut in the past? Uh, and that's and that's a great question. I think Jenny finds that out with her canvassers that people are asking that. Um, I've had some people contact me, and... The the best guarantee I can give you is I guarantee we are going to replace. Now, I don't know how or in what order, but our guarantee is that we will replace things that affect kids in the classroom. So that's first teachers. We want to bring back those teachers and lower those class sizes. I don't think anyone wants to go through um, what Tina Peterson and her great committee went through this past summer, raising funds for ECA stipends. Well, it's just not sustainable. It, it sure isn't. I mean, in this community, I mean, who would have ever thought that in such a short period of time we could raise $650,000? Um, but you're right. It's not sustainable. So we want to be able to replace that kind of a program, too. Um, we want to replace the staff that we've lost um, in terms of social workers and counselors, if we're able to. And we want to increase our literacy programming and look at our programs for at-risk kids. What about Aurora High School? That had to go away, is very much restructured, relocated um, with the budget cuts. Any chance that Aurora High School will spring back Phoenix-like? It's, well, <laughs> it, you know, I guess it depends on what you mean, Mary Catherine, by springing back, like a location or the program. My hope is that we will bring back 
the, the kind of program we have and improve it even more so that we can increase that graduation rate. Okay. All right. We have a phone call. We have a couple phone calls, and I think we might have some more. We do. Some more questions that have been uh, sent in. But let's go to the phone first. And Martin. Martin? Yes. In the recent Science Magazine, which is a technical journal, the whole issue is scaling up alternative energy. And they have a little thing here, issues beyond 2030. And one of the things they mention that the issue is skills. The young engineers of the 2030s are currently in preschool. We can't let them not be well-educated. That's mm-hmm. all. All right, Martin. Thanks. Sue, Thanks you want to comment on that? Well said. <laughs> uh, I, I, that's, that's perfect. Well said. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go back to the phone. Dave is next. Dave? Hi. Hi, Dave. Um, yeah, but I have kind of a, a two-part question uh, you know, or maybe a comment. I went to a high school uh, that had a campus of over 5,000 students and regularly had classes of over 40 people in them. I managed to get through IU, um, have a degree in teaching, and, and don't really have a problem with larger class sizes because I've experienced it. And I don't think that it's all that bad if the educators know what they're doing. Um, and then the other half of my question is, is I, uh, I currently have a little purple house down um, near Bryan Park that cost me $2,300 a year in taxes. Um, as we talk about referendums and additional taxes, I'm going to have a hard time paying taxes on a property like that. Um, what, what other solution do we have besides referendums to continue supporting our schools? Um, I want to first start with the, the large high school classes. And our, and our high schools um, have classes... Um, and, and even before this um, budget crisis hit us, we've had classes that are 30 and f- in the 30s and 40s. When I'm talking about smaller classes, it's really elementary schools. Um, and it would be very, very difficult. And I don't know when Dave went to school, but I know when I went to school, nobody was talking about differentiated instruction. Nobody was talking about teaching the student at their level. Um, you took out you took kids out who were struggling or who had discipline problems, and you put them in one room, and you took the really bright kids and put them in another room, and everybody else had to learn the same way. Um, things were just thrown at you. So, so I would say to Dave that I would like to think that we're doing things even better. Um, and what other ways other than property tax? I don't know because I think property is a measure. What economists will tell you, property is a measure of your wealth. Um, People who have more money buy more expensive houses, they tend to. People with less money buy less expensive houses. Um, Sales tax really is not um, a real good way to do this, as I said before, because it's a regressive tax and it affects people at the lower income scale much more negatively than it affects people um, the higher income Mm -hmm. level. But I think one point to make is that the state legislature, the governor and the state legislature decided a couple of years ago that they wanted to reduce property taxes and they wanted to put the the school funding on sales tax and income taxes. So the state made that decision. And so now if there's going to be any increased money for the school corporation, it has to come through an improved economy, which would then allow for more sales tax and more income tax, or they've given school corporations the ability to go to their community and say, we would like to raise property taxes um, in order to help pay for the schools. Right. And, and the, the one thing is we're raising property taxes from what they are right now. Our property taxes have been reduced over the last few years um, with some rebates a couple years ago and then the whole, the whole issue of moving education to, to sales tax instead of property tax. So we're asking for a fraction of what it was before. So people still are saving money in property taxes. And I would um, suggest for Dave, if he wants to go to the MCCSC website, mccsc.edu, there is a calculator there on the referendum link where you can put in the amount, the value of your house, and if you have a mortgage, and it will automatically figure your mm-hmm. homestead and mortgage deduction and tell you what your annual and monthly payment would be. For instance, if your house is valued at um, $300,000, it's only $228 a year. If you have an average value house, what Judy Sharp, our assessor, says is average value, which is $156,000, that's $97 a year. It's $8 a month. It's less than 27 cents a day. Mm-hmm. All right. 
All right, let's uh, go back to an email question. And this is one I haven't heard before, so this is kind of interesting. What happens if the corporation's guess on property values is wrong and the referendum doesn't bring in enough money to bridge the funding gap? Great, great question. <laughs> well, here is one option, I, I'm, and I'm, Jenny's going to probably cringe and Jack's going to cringe when I say this. We're allowed to do another referendum um, after this year if we need more money. We can do a referendum on top of the referendum. Now, I'm not sure that anybody wants to... To go through what we've gone through now. And I think we're just going to have to make some different kinds of decisions and, and hopefully make it with the community about where our priorities are. Because obviously, if we don't have the money coming in with every source we have and we have to make some decisions about where to scale back, that's going to have to be a community decision, I think, that we all talk about how we do that. All right. Our phone number is again 855-0811-877-285-9348. Our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Jenny, I'd like to hear more about what's going on out in the community. Um, you mentioned briefly the PTOs and um, some volunteers. What what have you been up to? Uh well, mainly we've been up to uh, making canvas packets, and now we're making phone lists, and we just are recruiting volunteers heavily. Uh, we've been out working every weekend, and uh, I, I know that Jack had made some comment about young people not having a voice in this, but we find that a third to a half of our volunteers are high school students. And had very, one come to my door. Yep. They're very oh, passionate about about this they're very involved um they want to work the polls and uh and so we're excited about that we're talking to some of the local government teachers about how they would be released from class because apparently this is something that they are allowed to do um and uh we encourage everybody that is really passionate about this and wants to help to uh email us at referendum.volunteers at gmail.com and uh just put in uh, some information about whether they'd like to walk neighborhoods, make some phone calls to some friends, um, help us in the headquarters, so to speak. Okay. All great. right. The mm-hmm. show's flying by. We have 10 minutes to go, and we've got a couple people on the phone. So let's go to Tom first. Tom? Ah, good afternoon, all. Hello, Tom. Okay, Hi. Hey, um, let me bring the love fest to a screeching halt here. Okay? I have four children. All of them are grown. They're, um, they're all now... Last one graduated uh, Notre Dame last year. Congratulations. Um, I put all four of my children through, uh, through parochial schools. I put all four of my school, all four of my children through Notre Dame on my dime. No taxpayer money at all. Okay. You say that the, uh, that funding this with the sales tax is regressive. Okay. I have never used public education for my children, yet I pay property tax twice a year, like everybody else, and I find that regressive. I am tired of paying to educate everybody else's kids. Let's go to a user tax. You got a kid, you pay a tax. Uh, are you waiting for a response? I didn't know if you sure. were finished. I don't want to interrupt you, really. Um, I have no children. I have no children in school. I've never had a child. Um, I believe that education is the foundation of a, a democracy and of a free society, and by providing that kind of strong education, um, it's our responsibility to do it. And somebody paid for me to go to school, and it's, I just know it's a, measure, it's a measure of the quality of life in our community, and it's uh, an investment so that we have the kind of community that we all want to live in. Well, and, Tom, I, you know, a, you, you I, said... It's a measure that we get what we pay for. You're right. We d- you're exactly right. We do get what we pay for, and, which and is... I, I, I paid off the nose, worked two jobs for over 25 years. Well, and I, yeah, I understand because I have no children and, and I've paid property taxes wherever I've lived and I've paid for the school corporations as well. And certainly, Tom, that was a choice that you made. Yes, it was. Well, Tom, congratulations on what you've done and, and I appreciate your comments because I think they... You know, they're certainly very valid comments, and we appreciate your position. Thank you. Yeah. All right, thanks. We have to go to the next caller, and it's Janet. Janet? Hello, Janet. Are you there? Okay. Yeah. I have a question about um, the Aurora kids uh, being moved into the um, Broadview Learning Center. And I was told yesterday that the kids who started in Aurora are going to be grandfathered through the rest of the, uh, the four years, but any incoming new students can't um, be included until their junior year. 
Is is that correct? Boy, I, I wish I knew the answer to that. I really don't. Um, I will try to find out that answer for you. If you want to um, contact me um, through um, um, <laughs> through the school corporation, okay. um, I, I, I really have not heard that. What I do know is that we're trying to secure some grant funding and do some things to make Aurora even more effective than it was before. That was certainly yeah. a great place and a great environment for those it, kids. But it we, was. we it want was. to increase the graduation rate, though. So I'm sorry yeah. that I don't have that information for you, but I can certainly try to check that out for you. But, yeah, right. Janet, that's a great question. Those kids are uh, really important to so many of us in this community. John, I, I, I know. And um, I, I, it sounds to me, if it is true, it, it's a, cus- a cost-cutting measure um, because of all these cuts, and that's, that just really bothers me that those students are, are kind of being left, um, you know, just being left. Yeah. And, and I certainly yeah. understand that, and that we, cer- we don't want to do that. We really no, don't. No. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, all right, Janet. Janet. You're welcome, Thanks Janet. Thanks a lot for the call. I, I think uh, hopefully our story was accurate when we did a story on the new uh, program that did say that it focuses on the older kids instead of the freshmen and sophomores. But okay, We had another person who called and mentioned that uh, really we're all paying into each other's Social Security. <laughs> and uh, so that's not terribly different than uh, paying for everybody's education. Right. Well, and we also pay for people's medical costs when people are uninsured and go to the hospital. So there's a lot of things that we all pay for and share. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what a it's community part of being means. being a citizen. Right. Those yeah. are reactions to Tom's call. All right. Again, 855-0811-1-877-285-9348. We've got about five minutes to go. Um, Jack, you've had experience with various referendums in Arizona and Indiana, and I guess I wanted to ask you how how you think this one is going. What's the reaction that you've heard? And, Jenny, same to you. What's the reaction you've heard when you've gone out and yeah. talked to people? Well, I think uh, Monroe County School Corporation has a lot to be proud of right at the moment. Uh, in Arizona, uh, they're geared for this. They've been through this for uh, years and years and years. The difference is that in this particular situation, the school board made a decision in July for a November the 2nd election. In Arizona, uh, it's, it's continuous, basically, on preparation. But basically, 12 months is a reasonable time to really put an, uh, something together. And we have had uh, a little over 60 days, actually, to really focus on this issue. I, I have been astounded and, and so pleased to be a part of this community to see the, the people who have endorsed, the people who have activated themselves, and the volunteers that have come forward. And uh, it's just been a, a great thing to watch. It's probably wor- a, worth noting the endor- some of the endorsements. Can you recall? Some? I mean, I know the Bloomington the Chamber of Commerce endorsed. The yeah. And the, ci- the city council had uh, one of the most outstanding resolutions, I think, that I've read in, in, in my time with referenda. And yeah. uh, they, they were uh, county council, the, the labor council, uh, jobs for justice. You know, there's, the list goes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's something really – um, I think it must be magical or mystical when you get the BEDC and the Chamber and the Bloomington City Council and the County Council and League of Women Voters and Labor all agreeing on something. Um, uh, that doesn't happen too often right. here. Um, we have a couple of phone calls. That, now, Mary Catherine, stop laughing. We have a couple She's of phone. Right. We have a couple of phone calls. We're going to try to get to in the last three or four minutes. Stan, you're on. Hello, Stan. Hi. Uh, I listened to the caller who who very clearly was uh, able to put his children through college and uh, on his own, but I couldn't help being struck by what seemed to be an absence of understanding that in a democracy we all support all of us. And without an educated class of kids coming up, our future is is likely to be more selfish and more mean. I, I just don't understand why a man of his age who would have been eligible for the draft, for example, uh, wouldn't have assumed that it was his duty toward the country to serve. And that's what we should feel about education. All right, Stan. Thank you. Thanks a lot for your comment. And we have Ted next. Ted? Yeah, I wanted to say that uh, uh, after hearing uh, many, uh, like our president speaking about how the importance of education and our our governor... um, why nobody ever says anything about uh, uh, requiring the kids to go two years more? Everybody 
want I know that that's a money issue, but uh, uh, for example, going 14 years to school, then then our kids would be equipped to uh, to uh, you know meet the demands of what uh, uh, our technology is bringing us to. And I wanted to say that uh, uh, I don't think 12 years is good enough anymore. <laughs> I wanted to make that public. Mm-hmm. I, right, I think you're right. I, I agree. And that's how um, community colleges, which start out as junior colleges, really were. We're an extension of high school. And um, that proposal is out there for um, a dual um, last two years of high school, first two years of community college in some places. I, I applaud that idea. Keep talking about that. All right. All right. Thanks, Ted. I'd like to make a plug here. Um, we are at uh, the MCCSC Admin Building. This is our uh, canvassing referendum headquarters. We will be there this weekend from 9.30 to 6 on Saturday, one thirty to 6 on Sunday. And during the week, we are there from 10 to 4.30. Uh, if you want T-shirts, if you want signs, if you want buttons, if you want help in any way. There is please, a charge for those. Please come and find there. Mm-hmm. $10 for the signs, $10 for the T-shirts, mm-hmm. and buttons are a dollar. Okay, Jack, 30 seconds. Uh, I would just offer that uh, extending the school suggestion for this last caller is uh, admirable, that, that attitude. I, I, I'm an advocate of early childhood education. And I think that we ought to be expanding it on the front end as well to prepare, uh, g- g- have these children are ready to to begin learning when they hit kindergarten. And that's uh, that's going on in a lot of districts. Indiana doesn't even recognize the kindergarten, a full-time kindergarten. And, and, so and all those things have to be paid for. Right. Yeah, we, that's are, correct. we are out of Very time. Good. I want to thank our guests today, thank Sue Wanzer and Jenny Stevens oh, and Jack Peterson for being here, for Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Dan Goldblatt, and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.